Hello, and welcome to Season 3 of The Viewer's Cut. Hope everyone had a good summer. Now that fall has officially begun, we're ready to get back into it. Some big movies are finally debuting, and it's giving us lots to talk about. This season will be a little different from the last. Now that Adam, Ryan, Mauricio, and I are all back to work full-time, it's going to be a lot harder to produce episodes on a weekly basis. But we've got a great new season planned, with some of our favorite topics yet to come. And I'll be introducing some new styles of episodes, one called Rack Focus, where we'll be zeroing in on a specific aspect of filmmaking or the movie industry in general, and another which will be making its debut on this episode called Into the Weeds, where we'll devote an entire episode to talking way too much about one particular franchise. All this and more on Season 3 of The Viewer's Cut, which begins right now. For more than 50 years, one title spy has escaped the movie medium and infiltrated the collective landscape, becoming less a cinematic franchise and more of a cultural institution. Although he's had many faces over the years, his presence, popularity, and name remains the same. On October 8th, he'll finally be making his long-awaited return in the 25th installment of the official 007 franchise, No Time to Die. Today on The Viewer's Cut, we'll be talking about, of course, James Bond. We'll be exploring the franchise as a whole, talking about its ups and downs, our personal favorites and least favorites. Joining me are two brand new guests to the show, Brendan Hiles and Adam Fontaine. Brendan is another friend of ours from the Advanced Filmmaking Program at Fanshawe College, and Adam is a good friend of Brendan's, whom I've gotten to know as well over the years. Gentlemen, welcome to the Viewer's Cut. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. Yeah, for sure. I'm uh, breaking the ice, my first podcast experience. So I'm looking forward so to it. I'm yeah. surprised in your intro there, you uh, missed an opportunity to say Bond, James Bond. You just oh, went with the regular James Bond. I thought about it, and I was just like, like, I can't even. I can't. It's just such a cliche. I can't even do it. Anyway, we'll get right into it. Uh, guys, how many of the Bond movies would you say you've seen? How big of a fan would you say you are? I would say I'm a pretty I'm a pretty big fan. I've seen Bond movies from every era. I think I've seen every single one of them at least one time. Certain ones I've seen certainly more than once, like a lot of the more recent ones. Um, I guess we're, you said we're going to get into uh, our favorites and least favorites. Uh, certain eras of Bond, I definitely uh, gravitate towards a lot more. Interesting. How about you, Brendan? How many of the Bond movies have you seen? Uh, I, I feel like I'm more of like, a, I guess, a... A casual like I I guess know a good amount about I guess or I think to try to know about uh, movies and stuff like that but uh, <laughs> you think you think you do <laughs> <laughs> I watch a bunch of movies sometimes I know what's going on sometimes I don't um, and I guess I've seen most of the James Bond through just yeah like marathons here and there and then my own experience with them just from Goldeneye, I guess, seeing the first one up until now, the Spectre, and then covering in the gaps. But uh, I know about the characters, and I guess I also played Goldeneye the game, so we can talk about video games too. For oh, the you're practically an expert. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I uh, I went into this with only one kind of premise uh, that I thought might be interesting to explore, and that is even to Bond fans, um, you'll hear a lot of fans say. Oh, oh, these ones aren't any good. 
or they'll they'll dismiss entire eras of it. Like so many people say, oh well, I don't really like Roger Moore, or they'll be like, oh no, that George, that George, they won't even know George Lazenby's name. They'll be like, the guy who only did the one, that one's no good. And then they say Pierce Brosnan, they're like, oh, those ones got too silly too. So I'm like, when you take out all seven Roger Moore, George Lazenby, three of the Brosnan movies, like we're almost cutting the thing in half. And then I don't really know anybody who sits down and watches the Connery ones anymore either. So are these are these good movies? Are these bad movies? Is it just like something that's become a franchise and that's only the sum of its parts? And if you look at a single one, is it any kind of like the MCU, right? It's like you got to kind of watch them, but do you appreciate any single one of them? I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Well, I don't know. I guess we were talking about this actually the other day too. The I guess... From my experience, it seems like, uh, of course, like very close, like growing up with the Pierce Brosnan ones and like growing up like as a child, watching like Goldeneye and what Die Another Day and Tomorrow Never Dies. Um, yeah. So And don't forget The World Is Not Enough. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. That classic, that renowned I actually classic. love The World Is Not Enough and I will be defending that movie <laughs> uh, when we get to it later on. Is that the one with the fencing? Or is it which one? No, that's Die oh, Another that's Day. Another that day. was pretty fire. When you, and then they go like with Claymore's. Um, and then, yeah, then, like, of course, like, the recent ones were, like, kind of grew up, like, with, like, the Daniel Craig ones of, like, I guess, reaching maturity with them and hitting puberty. Um, but, uh, so, I feel like, uh, with the Daniel Craig ones, they're very, like, modern, very, like, I guess, touching on issues that are, like, I guess, relevant and have that. But then, I guess, with, like, the, uh, Sean Connery ones, they're more like the original, like, the true, uh, unique ones i guess or not unique but uh yeah so i don't know they have like different variation or different uh timelines and different uh eras but it's hard to separate them i your question was are these is are these good movies i guess and it's tough to say because you have to take them one at a time because the bond you compared them to the mcu and i think one of the differences between the bond movies and the mcu is the MCU is very, it's very rich in terms of continuity. Like everything is very interconnected in the MCU and the continuity in Bond is loose to say the least and yeah. completely unimportant. One of my least favorite discussions that the fans like to have about these movies is, I'm sure you've heard of like the James Bond is a code name and it's, yeah. and like there's trying to establish some kind of through line from Connery like through to Craig. I think that's like, a waste of time and you take each bond movie as its own standalone thing and the issue with people like if you're in your if you're like us in your late 20s early 30s you were only alive really for brosnan and craig you can only watch the other bonds with hindsight and they're almost now like artifacts or like time capsules of specific eras of not just film but like the culture and where the world was at the time. You can really see that in specific Bond movies too, like Live and Let Die and License to Kill, for example. But like now they're only viewed as like these historical things, sort of. And the cultural cachet of Bond is kind of what is bigger than the films themselves. And it's what drives people to the theater. But I do think that the contemporary like Daniel Craig ones are the first Bonds, like Brendan said, to like really dive into more complex themes and actually like be about something but i'm sure we're going to get into that when we go era by era because they're very distinct from the stuff that's come before in my opinion 
So, Adam, do you feel like you can uh, pick at least one or two from each era that you can say, like, yeah, this is these are just good movies on their own. I'm happy to just sit down and watch these. Or are there some that now are just, like, so dated or so archaic that you're just like, yeah, no, I, I don't get any pleasure out of watching it? Yeah, so <laughs> that's a good question. So I think that there is fun to be had from Bond movies in all eras. You can watch pretty much any Bond movie and it's interesting like from that historical perspective like I said but if you're just looking to like enjoy a fun spy action romp I do think there is fun to be had in each Bond era. I think Goldfinger still holds up. I don't is it is that would you say that's your favorite of the Connery ones? People usually will go to Goldfinger or From Russia with Love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was talking about this with Ryan on this show uh, uh, almost a year ago when Connery died. And we, Ryan and I both agreed that like when we were younger, Goldfinger was the only one we could sit through of the Connery eras. Like there's just something captivating enough about that one that it keeps you somewhat engaged. Thunderball, for example, is way too bloody long. And oh, as yeah, a kid, I could... Thunderball is so long because they were showing. I feel like with Thunderball, they were really trying to show off with like the underwater camera stuff because I'm yeah. pretty sure that was like new technology at the time. But there's so much of it, and it's so dark. <laughs> Half of this movie is this, these people swimming around underwater. It's, yeah, and Diamonds Are Forever is com- almost completely unwatchable. Okay, so we're, we're right into it. We might as well start with the early days. Um, as I think to your point, like, do you have to appreciate, and anybody can answer, do you have to appreciate Connery as the Connery era as, as you said, like an artifact? Like, is it, can you sit down and enjoy the movie in the same way that you would sit down a modern movie and watch it? Or does it have to be through the lens of like, this was made in the sixties. Uh, their, their idea of action was to just like speed up footage so that a car looked like it was going faster than it was, or people looked like they were fighting faster than they were. It looks terrible today. Um, or can you just, can you still just appreciate it as a movie for what it is? And, and, and then as you said, which ones do you like and, and which ones can you not stand? Um, I feel like, I guess each, like, because I, I really like watching, like, old movies and stuff like that, and I feel like there is, like, part of the, I guess, charm of watching them is that, like, you get to experience, like, another era, like, making movies myself, like, it's, helps to, like, cause, like, when you watch, like, a current modern movie, you compare it to your own work in, in a sense, but watching, like, uh, another era, it seems almost like a time capsule or, like, something so you can, like, watch it. Like, and still enjoy it, but still, like, you recognize. You can't, like, remove the historical, like, uh, like distance or, like, window between you and that movie. But you can still, like, watch it and enjoy it. So, like, movies can still, like, hand or, like, stand on themselves. And that's what I feel with, like, I guess, the Sean Connery ones. Like, Sean Connery himself is, like, he's such a, like, presence on the screen that it's, like, it always is, like, there's some, like, draw to it. And if it's, like, I guess, like, necessarily, like, I guess it always like with those movies too they're like very like i guess b movie like era like so it's almost like that twist of like almost two windows or like two different uh ways to approach something like that but yeah i think what really carries the early like the original james bond movies is sean connery's performance mm-hmm. i think it's so critical to like the success of the franchise like he is I don't know you again not to keep drawing back to the mcu but like as important as tony stark was to the mcu sean connery is to the james bond franchise he his and his performance holds up mm-hmm. i think 
I think if you were to show, like for example, I recently, my girlfriend has never seen any James Bond movies ever. So think about like, how would you go about introducing James Bond to a new person? Would you start at the beginning? Probably not. Like I didn't show her the Connery ones. I started with Casino Royale, right? Mm -hmm. And just, we went through the Daniel Craig movies, but I think you would have more success showing a new viewer the Connery era movies as opposed to the Roger Moore era movies because I think Connery's natural charisma and presence, that performance really elevates those movies. And there's a lot of silly stuff in the Connery movies and in the Roger Moore ones as well, but it doesn't go into like full-on camp in, in that era as much as it does later on in like the 70s and in the early 80s with Roger Moore. So I do think the performance helps them hold up some more than others. I think Goldfinger holds up probably the best Doctor No feels very quaint watching it now. I don't. When's the last time you watched Doctor No? Twenty years ago. Yeah. A long, <laughs> yeah. A long time ago. Is that the Going one? Back in, is that the one where the he's because uh, Blofeld's in that one. Was that the first one with Blofeld, or is that? It's a slow burn to Blofeld yeah. in the Connery era. It feels like uh, what I like about those movies is it really feels like episodes almost of a serial like television show. And yeah, he's like the shadowy mastermind in the background. And then when he's finally revealed later on, it works to varying degrees. But uh, yeah, he's he's kind of like in the shadows in the background. And then Dr. No himself is like the the villain's Dr. No hands. Because I remember uh, the one scene with, because uh, that's the one where like he hands like the villain, like the spider or whatever, like the tarantula. And he's like, yeah. you got to mm-hmm. kill Bond and or I'm going to kill you. But you gotta use the spiders. <laughs> yeah. It's like I don't well, know, Brent, man. Could I just shoot him or something? No, you need to use this nefarious. Brendan spider. has a soft spot for spot, uh, yeah. insect-based assassination attempts in movies. Attack of the Clones. Like in Attack of the, 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 yeah. I, I do feel like that scene in Attack of the Clones has got to be a nod to that's the true, spider yeah. assassination attempt in the in James Bond. Maybe like, there's a line in it that's like, we don't want this to seem suspicious. We don't want to get authorities involved. So <laughs> he just got bit by a spider in the night and died, I guess, is what they were But again, like, if you're, like, threatening, like, if you fail this mission, you will be killed. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's not like using, like, whatever happens, happens. Like, you uh, yeah. don't come back, but use the yeah. spider. But, yeah, it's always, like, I don't know, but that's part of the joy of those, too. Like, it's definitely, yeah. Uh, and I think From Russia with Love has one of the best like Bond henchmen. I don't know how much you also want to get into the Bond formula, but I think that could be fun too to go it's through, all open game. through like the the classic Bond formula pieces and like bit by bit, like some of our favorites and least favorites. But Red Grant in From Russia with Love, one of the Is that uh, Robert Shaw? I believe so. Yeah. I, sh- mm-hmm. I think I have a tab open with the movies if we need to look up Nice. The the, the main the guy, stuff. the blonde-haired guy that he fights. Yeah, the, 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 the blonde-haired henchman guy in From yeah. Russia with Love, yeah. whose gimmick is that he really has no gimmick, and then they get more gimmicky later on. Like then, of course, in Goldfinger, you've got Odd Job, one of the the pro- Going probably from no gimmick to a really ridiculous gimmick. He kills very people with a hat. <laughs> yeah. I guess what you're saying, Adam, like I would say, like with so you're saying, like yeah, like you wouldn't show somebody. Roger Moore, or like, like if not you're off like, the bat, yeah, not off the bat. So it's almost like an all or nothing kind of I'm not thing. Gonna right? le- yeah, I'm not gonna lead with live and let die. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like exactly. <laughs> so it's like, but like eventually, like I guess if somebody's hooked, you're gonna watch it. So it's like that weird. But 
really if you're gonna show like you're gonna show somebody always the newest one right because that's what like with like star wars and stuff too like there's that like when it was so removed through like historically or like just time yeah. and like a different era like what's the most digestible to a person who's never watched any of this it's going to be the newest one just by terms of like the performances the how like the feeling more natural and like real yeah but the, the difference between that and star wars number one dr no is a lot more dated than uh the original star wars is number one and and also star wars kind of has a through line like that's true throughout yeah. the whole series whereas james bond doesn't really like you can start with casino royale and like you, someone will get the gist Starting with Doctor No, I feel like it's very slow and it could be off-putting. As strong as Connery's performance is, like it might not motivate you to like can keep up with the series. That makes uh, sense. If you were to start there today, well, I guess uh, I wonder. You know, I don't have my facts checked on this, but like the action genre didn't really exist. I guess in the '60s, like you had movie with ex- movies with exciting parts but you didn't really have an action movie a movie based around explosions and car chases and things that we have today so i guess a spy movie wasn't really about that stuff then it was more about the espionage and more about the intrigue and then that leads me to think that i think part of the appeal of the connery era as you said is connery himself and his performance and also just the romanticism of the spy uh, yeah. in the 60s the cold Golden war was a, a big thing and it was you know apparently some of this ridiculous stuff was kind of real you know the gadgets became ridiculous throughout the movies but the idea of like a spy having a a hidden camera you know that you, you know take photos was was a novelty and was really was really high tech and really cool at the time um so i think that's why it'll always be considered its heyday is because they r- romanticized spies then in a way that we really don't do um, yes the, it's, anymore it's called the golden age of espionage for a reason yeah. it's because like spies in the cold war are romanticized and actually there's an interview with connery himself like from during the roger moore era where he was like asked to compare himself to roger moore's performance which is a tough spot to be put in if you're being asked that question but yeah. he even talked about how there was some level of underlying plausibility to his take on James Bond compared to the Roger Moore ones, which is perhaps a bit generous. Like there's debatable. Not, yeah. Debatable. Like the Connery movies are still not that plausible, but for some reason they do feel more grounded than the Roger Moore ones. It's still, they still do have a, a super villain with a base in a exactly. volcano. Yeah. So there's, there is that. And I've wondered now, like with, with where we are with Bond now, Bond has always been relevant insofar as like it's set in the modern day like bond ages with the world and i wonder now with the daniel craig series wrapping up and what they're heading towards what will likely be some kind of hard reboot again if would you want to see like a bond reboot set back in the golden age of espionage like a period piece james bond movie which would be something completely out of the norm for the series do you think that would be appealing to you um well we'll get into it a bit more with uh when we talk about daniel craig but uh i'll just give you a spoiler now like i'm not a terrible fan of where the franchise is right now so my first pick would would not be to do that but if it was just to keep going with this the way it is now uh i'd rather see them return to the 60s to give it that uh, rejuvenation but then you gotta ask yourself like 
then what? Like, are they all just going to be set in the 60s forever? Or does he just go back and then go through the 70s and into the 80s again? Like, they would have to just do a hard reboot every 10 years and uh, keep it in that era. And I think that would get pretty repetitive and pretty boring. So I don't know. It would be like a one-off experiment, but I don't think it would sustain the franchise for the next 50 years, which is all about what they're looking for. Yeah, I would. I was, I guess, more just like with the new Bond actor, like his sort of chapter of the Bond saga would be set in that era. And then when you move on to a new actor, you could make it contemporary again. Okay. Yeah. I'd, Give it a try. I'm what not saying hell? that's a, <laughs> that's a good idea necessarily or to do that, yeah. but I do think it's something they will think about. It makes sense. You Let, are like, I guess, protected through history in terms of like being too controversial or anything like that. Like you have like that distance to either be like more funny or just like approach subjects. All the misogyny can come back. Yeah, exactly. The, well, that's funny. what people on uh, Twitter want. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. James um, Bond what? got too woke. I'm not really <laughs> sure how, because I'm pretty sure Inspector he still like broke into a lady's uh, house and banged her. But whatever, James Bond's woke now apparently. Well, we'll see. We'll see on October 5th. Um, <laughs> have you guys seen on Her Majesty's Secret Service? Yeah, I did. Uh, yeah. I, I I did like it. I think it's one of my favorite from like pre uh, pre pre uh, Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> um, no, but I I think it like it definitely tried to do a lot of stuff that was ahead of its time. I feel like like there's a lot of parallels, of course, too. Like Daniel Craig, like through that movie and like the I guess quote unquote darkness, it tried to explore. Yes, Adam? I have seen on Her Majesty's Secret Service. I like on Her Majesty's Secret Service. I like the book too. Um, Is there more skiing it was the, in the book? <laughs> there, could, there couldn't possibly any be any more skiing. Ian <laughs> Fleming this, this, loves the skiest skiing. movie I've ever seen. <laughs> anyway, what do you think about George Lazenby? Not a fan of George Lazenby. <laughs> as a person or as a Bond? I, I, I think me and George Lazenby have personal beef. No, okay. <laughs> Here's my thing on the Bond. He actors. declined to comment on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. I asked him, but he said, "We and yeah, Is we invited him alive? to come on." Yeah, he's alive. Oh. Hi. Hi, George. <laughs> yeah. I thought you were going to say that's too bad when you found out he was still alive. <laughs> no, here's here's my thing on the Bond actors. All six of them, I think, are great, and they bring different things to the role. And I appreciate all of the incarnations of Bond. I think all the actors are awesome in different ways. Oh. And that includes George Lazenby. But I can't help but watch On Your Majesty's Secret Service and kind of wish that it was Connery in the in the role doing that story that makes sense. and i mean yeah. it seems like a travesty that we get an australian and then we put james bond in a kilt oh yeah i forgot he so he's the only one that's not uh english right that has done it. or like wasn't he born in england and then he he lived in australia or something like that i don't know I, I, all i know is that he was an australian model yeah i'm not sure I think where, he was if, born though in england still but i don't know Google. Yeah, there's that great scene in On Her Majesty's Secret Service where a woman like writes on his inner thigh, like up his kilt. Oh, Do you know yeah. the scene I'm talking about with <laughs> lipstick? And that did happen to me once <laughs> when I wore a kilt at a table. But yeah, but it was a skirt in your in your instance. Yeah. What is the line? He has a great line there. What does he say? Uh, just a slight stiffness coming on. I think just, is what yes. he says. Yeah, they, they ask because he's at like a lodge for like health, like a health ski lodge, and yeah. then he's like, "Oh, how are you feeling? Yeah, just a slight stiffness coming on." And the end of that movie has one of the the best like lines in 
in any of the 007 movies, I think. Yeah. When, the, when he like closes the her eyes. World? Yeah. yeah. Just yeah. resting. <laughs> what was it? Brendan gets the line wrong, sick. <laughs> One of the most just iconic resting. lines in yeah, the history resting. of 007. Yeah. yeah, when he says she, yeah, she's just resting. Well, Roll I, credit. It is a very memorable and uh, a surprising ending for a Bond movie to end mm-hmm. on a, a note like that. Do you think that... I know you said continuity doesn't really matter in these movies, and I totally agree with you, but I'm just curious what their intention was. Do you think the start of Diamonds Are Forever is supposed to be a continuation of that? Like, it's Bond on the rampage looking for Blofeld, and you get the idea that it's for revenge, but there's obviously no mention of, of Tracy or any of that. So what do you th- what do you think? Do you think that's supposed to be a continuation or no? Yeah, I, I do think so. I think it's... A- they're just kind of like tying up that loose end at the start because it is such a massive cliffhanger like as an audience member you would go to the next movie being like hey this guy's wife just got killed and then they do reference that later in in like the dalton era in license to kill they bring up that bond was married once the the skiing action in non Majesty secret service is great the i think it gets to be too much It, it ends with a a bobsled he's skiing through a bobsled track or something and again the footage is all sped up so it's kind of laughable now but uh, some of the skiing sequences when it's not like george lazenby with a rear projection thing behind him when it's actually stunt people skiing like I, that's that's uh that's action that you can get lost in and, and not be aware of how old it is like it, it doesn't seem dated to me it seems like you can watch that now and be just as invested in when, as you would be something modern especially when people are uh, dying or i guess that was only from russia with love right where the helicopter stunt am i thinking of the twilight zone but it wasn't there also a death <laughs> <laughs> talking about vic morrow in the in the, in the twilight I'm zone sure somebody died in russia with love that sequence the hot the uh plane that, oh okay i don't what, know which i guess it was uh, uh, maybe i'm thinking of like the north by northwest too. i don't know there's a lot of like plane sequences these days <laughs> Was you were all being over the place. Chased by a helicopter in from Russia with love. Okay, so yeah. is that what you're thinking of? Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm pretty sure somebody died there. I don't know. I wasn't. Okay. There. Well, we'll look that up. You look that up, Brendan. Okay. Um, <laughs> let's uh, let's jump ahead to uh, I think what's going to be a pretty big topic, and that's Roger Moore. So hear me out. Everybody nice. says Roger Moore, the Roger Moore era, is the ridiculous, campy, uh, over the top. Um, I contend that some of them are, but some of them then become back to being pretty grounded. So Moonraker, obviously, is the one that everyone says, like, oh, my God, it's Bond in space. Like, this is getting ridiculous. Um, but at least they keep the physics of that movie, like, grounded in reality. Like, it's not like Star Wars where you're just, like, on a spaceship zooming around. Like, the space station looks like it's some could be something that's a real space station. It has to rotate in order to create artificial gravity um everybody that's out in space is in like a proper um space suit like an astronaut suit um okay it's ridiculous but then they follow it up with for your eyes only which is almost a remake of from russia with love but it's uh back to just like a simple earthbound uh, espionage story so i don't think they're that bad they have some campy moments but that's what people wanted in the 70s um they knew what they were doing and they gave people what they want and I, I to me that's when those movies like hit hit a stride maybe not the stride as if like not to say there's only one but they definitely hit a stride of like every two years there was a new one out they all did well they were all successful 
And I think, you know, some of them are pretty, pretty tight and pretty thematically put together. So I really like that era and I like an element of fun with my bond. That's just me. Roger Moore, some of those movies are my, amongst my favorites. What do you guys think? Fans of Roger Moore or no? Like I said, I'm fans of all of the Bond actors and eras for different reasons. I do think they bring different things to the role. Roger Moore has some of the best like comedic lines in any of the Bond movies. Like yeah. in, I think in Man with a Golden Gun, where he like is aimed at the guy's balls. <laughs> Did you know that's the only scene I'm talking yeah. about? Speak now or forever hold your peace. Speak now or forever hold your peace. Yeah, yeah, that's like one of my all-time like favorite Bond moments. I think what's interesting about the Roger Moore era is we talked about that time capsule element of James Bond. You really start to get that feel in the Roger Moore era, and like right off the bat, Live and Let Die, nineteen seventy-three. Um, it's basically James Bond in a black exploitation movie. <laughs> <laughs> He's in Harlem or something, right? Yeah. Yeah. With uh, the guy who turns into a balloon at the end. <laughs> yeah, the voodoo, yeah, right? Like, or it's like voodoo or shaman yeah. doctor. Was that? Yeah. Yeah, that's the where he rigs the deck yeah. of cards like, oh, the, yeah. for the, the girl named Solitaire. The, where did like, he get all those cards? <laughs> he like, went around She's to every been shop with a man in before. New Orleans. Yeah. <laughs> Give me your lover's card. That's it. He had to collect 50. <laughs> Which is the movie where he undoes the dress with the magnet. I like that one. I like that's that uh, Man oh, with the yeah. Golden Gun. Yeah, he's on fire, Man with the Golden Gun. Also, I love, I think one of the best Bond villain castings is in Man with the Golden Gun for Scaramanga. Mm. With, uh, yeah. Yeah, Anthony Scaramucci is in Man with the Golden Gun. <laughs> he's a duel to the death with James Bond. <laughs> Brendan, get on your political soapbox. We want to hear uh, <laughs> yeah, some true. of your election takes. Well, when, uh, when we talk about uh, Daniel Craig, yeah, those are so oh, boy. politically charged. Did you know, I think it's pretty well, I guess, documented at this point that Ian Fleming, I think, wanted Christopher Lee to play James Bond, went back when it was originally being cast. Oh, like, that in, yeah. well, well, Tolkien wanted Christopher Lee to play Gandalf, so he was in demand with That's British crazy. authors, I guess. Uh, yeah. He was a preferred actor. But yeah, he is fantastic, and uh, I do really like him. I always liked Man with the Golden Gun, and it's like considered one of the worst uh, Bond yeah. movies, but I think it's very entertaining. What's that? They have like one fight scene on the roof. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, that one. Yeah. The one with the fight scene on the roof. Yeah, I did enjoy that. I thought that was cool. Very what, unique. What yeah, you don't the, forget a thing like that. Isn't like where he goes after a miner or something like that? Isn't one of this? And what, he goes after a miner. Isn't that like? <laughs> well, we'll get into that because that is a plot point. It in was one Roman of these. Polanski. Yeah, wasn't that like? What's like? I guess she wanted to. It was like they're at a ski resort, and then yeah. she's like, "Yeah, like oh," and then he's like, "I'll buy you ice cream or whatever." Like, oh yes, yes. Yeah. she goes after him. He that's doesn't. True. Yeah, that's. He's not. He's a, yeah, of, exactly. uh, she's. Yeah, it's for your eyes only. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is Roger more the Silicon Valley one? He drew the line there. He drew the line at her. He sleep with everybody else, but that girl, he said no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Silicon Valley. That's uh, View to a Kill with Christopher Walken that was as, great. Yeah. Yeah, as the bad guy. Jaws. Was that Jaws' first movie or is that? This, no, this is the Jaws era, but All Jaws right. is in uh, Spy Who Loved Me and in Moonraker. And if you want to get into like Roger Moore movies, one of my all-time favorite Bond movies, I think my favorite Roger Moore movie is The Spy Who Loved Me. I yeah. love the spy who loved me. It is great. I love the premise. We talked about Man from Uncle. It's like a similar premise where the two sides of the Cold War have to come together to like combat like a greater threat. In Man from Uncle, it's like a former Nazi. In this one, it's a crazy Atlantis guy. 
<laughs> with webbed fingers I with think. webbed fingers and he wants to make a society in the sea after like so what, the, the, the two powers like destroy each other like the russians and the americans destroy each other although what holds back the spy who loved me is the awful performance of agent triple x i don't know the, i forget the name of the actress oh, barbara bach i think yeah barbara bach I think that's uh, sucks in the in the spy who loved me. <laughs> it didn't matter her performance, Adam. What mattered was her outfit at the end when the thing is sinking and her cleavage is is rising. The thing is sinking and her cleavage is rising. Keeping the British that's, end up, sir. Was, yeah. <laughs> Another so many one-liners from Roger Moore. Yeah, he, he definitely he's the king of the one-liners. Like of uh, all the Brosnan, Brosnan's that's up there. True, yeah. That's true. But there, he's approaching more. re-entry. Um, Greatest line but, from Moonraker. Yeah. I you talked about the tropes, and maybe we'll get into it now because mm-hmm. I I always joke that there's only like three different plots that the bad guys in any Bond movie are ever doing. It's always just a variation of that. So it's always like, um, starting. A, a World War Three, starting a nuclear war, like trig- getting the two superpowers to start a war with each other, so that you can someone can benefit somehow, or start a new society somewhere, <laughs> either in um, Atlantis or in space. <laughs> well, that that's what I mean. It bugged me that the Spy Who Loved Me and Moonraker, literally two back to back, and both of them, the supervillain is trying to start a new society somewhere after Earth is destroyed. Like, it's almost the exact same. They go from underwater to space in the next movie. Isn't that like Kingsman, the Secret Service, too? The plot is like <laughs> yeah. vague, is vaguely similar to that, oh, I do, yeah. I think. Probably. The first Kingsman. And they sing that song, the West Virginia. That's the second Kingsman. <laughs> Brennan, you are yeah, all I over I love the that place. scene in Moonraker where they sing. Where they sing, um, <laughs> take me on country Denver road. song. <laughs> or whatever, yeah. I will, I will say this. If John Denver did a Bond theme, that'd be pretty fire. Is he alive? I think he's dead. I don't mean right now. I just mean at some point. <laughs> I don't think they're going to reboot Go. the Bond franchise. Bring in John Denver. <laughs> going from Billie Eilish to John Denver. Yeah. <laughs> A what? classic never dies. Um... <laughs> yeah, but like the, the live and let die, like the black exploitation time capsule is very like apparent. And then in, of course, Moonraker, uh, it's been talked about to death, but like the trying to capitalize on star wars like yeah. it's two years after star wars came out and james bond's going to outer space because yeah 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 i guess james bond has always kind of had that like the, the kind of what what else was the that's the fun of watching the old yeah. james bond movies though you see like i like seeing not just like the trends in what was going on in movies and like culturally you see like how people were dressing you see the cars of the time you yeah you, like james bond suits are all over the place as far as like the fit of them like this man has very loose suits in like the roger moore era he's got those like 70 shoots 70s suits yeah yeah oh, he looks like mostly terrible and then in like uh in the when you get to like the dalton era which i have a lot to say about because i love timothy dalton when bond is like wearing like a leather jacket and like killing like drug dealers and it's a totally different uh, aesthetic yeah. to just the the costume of James Bond mm-hmm. evolves so much over time. And I th- that's some of the fun of, of it. But I did want to talk about one thing in the Roger Moore era. I think it's a good time to bring up the Bond song, the Bond theme song. One of the key elements. We talked about the henchmen. Well, I- Do you guys have like best and worst Bond music? 
Hmm. Now, do you mean you don't mean the title songs? You mean the theme, like the orca? The oh, sorry. Control? I mean, yeah, no, I mean like the title song. Yeah. Oh, the title okay. song, like the op- like the credit song. Well, I feel like the universal, like the best one, is no arg- no uh, can't disagree. Um, would be uh, live and let die. It's definitely the most. Well, fun. I would say Goldfinger's the iconic it one, is, obviously. But it's like That's, in terms of like yeah. actual quality of. The <laughs> But I, mean, I, I, I feel like it's uh, it's like a clear winner to me. But, I used uh, to, uh, I used to, I probably still around somewhere. But I had the CD. Do you remember that CD came out? It was called The Best of Bond, James Bond, and it was all of the title sequences just on a CD. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's how I got familiar with all of them. That and yeah, there's some hidden what, gems in there that I really like. So uh, what are they? I thought Brendan was going to come in with yeah, the undisputed all-time best. Uh... James Bond song was all time high from Octopussy. Oh, that would have been a nice yeah, segue. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I do like the what's the Chris Cornell. No, that was a test. That's not a good one. <laughs> <laughs> that's a bad one. Is that Rita Coolidge? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're in all. Okay, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna perform. What? What's your the, favorite one then? My favorite one? Yeah. I like Live and Let Die. Yeah, it's the best. Live and Let Die is. I I, I agree that Goldfinger is like probably the classic. I love Live and Let Die. I think View Thunder- to a Kill is great. Oh, yeah. View to a Kill, oh, yeah, I love it. Love View to a Kill. One of my all-time favorites, I think probably the most underrated Bond theme song ever, we're going to get to it soon, is by AHA. I love The Living Daylights. The Living Daylights, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, awesome. love the living, I love the movie song. The Living Daylights. I love the song The Living Daylights. I also like the song in License to Kill. I got a license, Gladys Knight, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And um, I think Thunderball's underrated. Um, Adam, have you heard the original uh, Johnny Cash version of Thunderball that was going to be used? I have not. So, so unused Bond themes is a pretty interesting topic. Um, Katie Lang did um, Tomorrow Never Dies, and it got so far into production with that being the title song that the composer, David Arnold, worked the melody into the score. You know how the, the, the score of the movie always mimics the tune of the title song? Yeah, I love that it aspect got, of Bond, too. It got that far, so you can still hear the melody of Katie Lang's version in the score of Tomorrow Never Dies, but they replaced it with the Cheryl Crow song. Also, Radiohead did a version of Spectre, and Johnny Cash did... Uh, thunderball anyway give that a listen to and the people have done it on youtube where they've like synced up the johnny cash version with the title credits i will Just, definitely be checking that out like right after this that sounds yeah, really cool it's pretty interesting pretty interesting because cheryl crow did the tomorrow never dies song right officially yeah yeah but, and you then you hear katie lang's version on the end credits oh. right tomorrow, tomorrow never dies because who what did uh kylie montague she did the uh, goldeneye no, who? Gold, who? Kylie Montague? <laughs> yeah, Montague. The Who's that? <laughs> the, the pop star from uh, Australia. The pop Kylie story. Minogue? Yeah, Minogue. <laughs> Kylie Minogue did not do a Bond theme. <laughs> First of all, you got the name of Kylie Minogue wrong. Second of all, she has nothing to do with James Bond. <laughs> She did the locomotion, a version of the locomotion in the 80s. Brennan, are you on drugs for this conversation? <laughs> yeah. Let's put Brendan Hiles in an audio-only format and record it. That's a good idea. I like Thank the song from The Spy Who Loved Me. Nobody does it better. Carly it's, Simon. Yep. Oh, Love it. Yeah. 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 What's the That's Jack another... White song? The White Keys or whatever? The Black. The, black. the Jack White song? <laughs> 
from Quantum of Solace, <laughs> decades after what we're talking about. <laughs> I mean, yes, I also like that one, but I, I guess my hot take is I'm not a huge fan of the Skyfall song. I was like kind of disappointed. Like movie, like we can talk about it after, but in terms of just song, I always felt like she had to like go off more, and that she just was too restrained. I was disappointed. Adele was too restrained. You know who wasn't restrained? Since we're jumping all over the place with music, Madonna. Maybe that's what I was thinking of Madonna. Yeah. Kylie yeah, Montague. Kylie Montague with Madonna. <laughs> Iconic queen of pop, Madonna. Madonna should do another Bond song. Yeah. Why hasn't Lady Gaga done one too? Speaking of them, it seems like she should have done something. I think. Um, who's that other girl? Not Lady Gaga. I love Lady Gaga, by the way. Shout out Lady Gaga. Mm, Follow me on Instagram, Lady Gaga. <laughs> Please do. Slide Please into do my DMs, song. Lady Gaga. Maybe it's not too late to replace the Billie Eilish song with uh, That's what I'm something by Lady Gaga. Have you guys heard it? I think it uh, sucks. Mm-hmm. The Billie Eilish song? Yeah. yeah I it, feels, like it, than... it feels very uh, standard. Is best I, I could say for it. Yeah, why can't they figure this out? I don't understand. Like, like the I thought the Sam Smith, Sam Mendes. No, <laughs> he sung Who's and this? directed. Is it, what's his name? The uh, Spectre. The Sam, writing's on the wall. Uh, Sam. Sam. What the hell is his name? Sam Smith. Yeah. <laughs> is it Smith? Okay. Two generic yeah, okay. names. Can't remember. Yeah. I don't know. I did. I did almost say Sam Mendes because he was the director. Yeah. Anyway, I thought I thought that song sucked. I don't know. I, I I thought Adele was the only decent one. Well, I guess Chris Cornell. Everybody likes that yeah, one I too, do right? Like Chris yeah. And that opening sequence is really cool the, too. The, the oh, yeah. with the cards. Yeah. The you know my yeah. name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Let's talk about Timothy Dalton. Adam, you said you love the Living Daylights. Let's talk about Timothy Dalton. Hey, I love the Living Daylights, and I love License to Kill. I think wow. Timothy Dalton is the most underrated of the James Bonds, and a lot of the. Uh, what people like about the Daniel Craig take on the character was really done first with Timothy Dalton. I think that's pretty well established now. And I know that Timothy Dalton, the, his choices were to try to make the character more in line with the bond of the books. Yeah. Do you want to know everything you need to know about the Timothy Dalton take on the character? Listen to how he delivers the shaken, not stirred line. He's so pissed about it being shaken, not stirred. Like he does not <laughs> want it stirred. <laughs> It's yeah, the, and his his delivery of the Bond James Bond is like very casual. He's like on the phone and he's mm-hmm. like Bond James Bond. Like it's like I'm, I don't care. Like whatever. I'm just getting this information out. I'm not doing it with any flair or style. Yeah, better I'm, make that I'm, too. I love. Okay, we want to talk about the Living Daylights. Living Daylights is in my top five James Bond films of all time. What I love about Timothy Dalton, he is again back to the time capsule thing like quintessential 1980s action star James Bond. The Living Daylights has one of the best opening sequences in any of the Bond movies. I love all the Bond cold opens for the most part, but The Living Daylights is one of the best ones. And it's especially important because you have to introduce the new actor as James Bond. And it's so important that they stuck the landing on that cold open. And I love that whole beginning sequence with like the training exercise and the the bad guys come in and like infiltrate the training exercise. This guy parachutes onto a boat with a woman who's like, like, like on the phone talking about how she wants a real man. And then he, and then at that moment he lands on the roof. It's great. It's pure James Bond, masculine escapism. 
have you uh, have you noticed that the the other um, trainees kind of resemble Sean Connery and Roger Moore, as if oh, to yeah. say like they get killed off, and so it's like okay, these guys are done. Anyway, I don't know about the Sean Connery one, but definitely the one guy who gets like shot in the back with the paintball turns around and he, he looks like Roger Moore. So I think there was an intended move on the studio to pave the way for a new, a new mm-hmm. bond. And this is like a, a bond who's like much more like vicious and brutal. He's motivated by revenge in license to kill, which is very 1980s license to kill is one of the like definitive bonds of a particular time. Like in license to kill James Bond goes rogue He's working with the DEA. It's like an episode of Miami Vice. <laughs> Cocaine is like a big part of the plot. He's fighting South or Central American drug dealers. He's getting revenge. He's feeding yeah. the guy to sharks. Oh, yeah, the sharks. He's wearing a blue windbreaker. Yeah. Some guy's head explodes in that, too, doesn't it? it they does put a guy in a compression chamber or something? Yes. Yeah. And then yeah. in the end, he lights, the, uh, he lights oh, uh, yeah. Sanchez on fire with the lighter. Yeah. The only thing I feel like uh, Miami Vice does it better though. That's the problem. <laughs> That's the problem. Yeah. You can't yeah. compete with Miami Vice Miami at the Vice end of the day. If I had plot. a nickel for every time I said that. Yeah, it's uh, it's also like a very dark. License to Kill has like a super dark beginning, mm-hmm. with like the murder slash implied rape of the woman. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's one of the. I think it's like a bit too over the top as far as like the level of like darkness i don't think i need to see that in like a bond movie personally but it does motivate james bond to go on like a liam neeson taken style like murderous rampage <laughs> so you do or do don't think it works like he's is that one's not amongst your favorites license to kill i did i'm just talking about that one aspect of license to kill like bringing okay. that like severe level of implied sexual violence i don't think is necessary Right, but um, it was the '80s and everything was edgy, right? Everybody, yeah, it, it yeah. is like, yeah, it is a different type of James Bond. It's such a stark contrast from the Roger Moore era. Um, and I do like *License to Kill* overall. I'm glad they changed the title from the original title for it, *License Revoked*. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's a weak, weaker title, and that is what title of one of the books. But why do you think that Timothy Dalton is not amongst the most popular? bonds why isn't he as memorable why wasn't he as i think he's got a lot of fans don't get me wrong there's a lot of people who really like his take but generally he's not amongst their up there with the most popular ones why do you think that is yeah it seems like other like definitely timothy dalton is my blind spot in the james bond like it seems like so i'm not gonna like speak on that but i'm just saying like yeah i agree like that is like it feels like you just don't know about him or like there's something yeah that he's forgotten he's yeah. one of the yeah. one of the forgotten bonds. I, I think simply one of the reasons is because there were only two installments of the Timothy Bond in the Timothy Bond era. There was going to be Property of a Lady was going to be the third Dalton movie, but there was some kind of legal battle that prevented that from coming out. And then they eventually got Brosnan. They wanted Brosnan for um, for Living Daylights, but he was committed to I think a television show. So Remington Steele. Yes, oh. yeah. So they couldn't get him, and then they finally were able to land him for Goldeneye, but. I think Dalton, because he only had two, and because when people in general think of James Bond, they think of the suave, gentlemanly spy, and who is kind of quippy in some instances, and he is the least that. He is the most angry and 
violent and traumatized version of James Bond up until that up until that point. Mm. I also think he's probably not as like sexy as the others. That's true. I mean, I think he's a handsome guy. But what I what I think is too bad too is that there's a five year gap I think between License to Kill and Goldeneye. So mm-hmm. in theory, you could have snuck a third Timothy Dalton in there and not disrupted the flow of the rest of it. You know, it's almost like yeah. you know how they're going back now and making like comics to movies that never got made. Like there's a mm-hmm. whole comic book now about like a third Tim Burton Batman movie. Like what if? Burton yeah. had made the third Bat- Batman movie. It's like, they should do that now. Like, what if there was a third Timothy Dalton Bond? It could have fit right in, like, 1991 or 1992 and, and then had, had the series go on from there. Um, let's, we're getting short on time. Let's let's talk about Pierce. Pierce in the 90s. So everybody loves Goldeneye. Everybody knows Goldeneye. Everybody knows it partially because of the game, but also the movie was revered as well. Nobody speaks highly, really, of the other three. So until is now, that, until <laughs> okay, here we go. So I think Tomorrow Never Dies is quite good. I always thought The World Is Not Enough was quite bland. I just didn't really care about it at the time. But I could probably respect it now. And then, of course, Die Another Day is what Die Another Day is. So uh, I'm just going to open up the floor. What do you think? Uh, we could probably don't need to talk about Goldeneye. People talk about it enough, but let's talk about Tomorrow Never Dies, World Is Not Enough, and Die Another Day. Um, thoughts, opinions, like them, good, bad. It seems like they're like the sexiest Bonds, like in terms of just general, the entire cast and everywhere. Like say. everybody's good looking, like Q. Q yeah. is damn. Yeah, like who who would be the sexiest James so Bond's character? Brendan, you feel a stiffness coming on when we talk about <laughs> the Brosnan <laughs> era. Yeah, Sha- Sheen Bean. Uh, oh my God. <laughs> got uh, got. Uh, What's the Brooke Shields? Is she in here? No. <laughs> okay. Why are you on this episode? <laughs> why, why are you talking about this Brooke Shields? Right. I'm gonna talk about. I'm gonna just gonna plow ahead and talk about the world is not enough. Okay. All right. You go. Here's for why it. people hate the world is not enough because Featuring Christmas Jones, Pierce Brosnan, and Brooke Shields. Go for it. <laughs> Christmas Jones is terrible. This is true. Yes. Yes. Um, Christmas Jones exists to have one of the greatest james bond pun lines in the history of the <laughs> franchise her performance is worse than agent triple x who i previously uh <laughs> criticized but what i think the world is not enough one of the things i like about the world is not enough and it seems wild to me that this isn't the case in more james bond movies how many james bond movies have one of the main villains that's a female hmm. aside from electric mm-hmm. king and the world is not enough yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Is she the only one? Yeah. Yeah, and she like there's also like another guy who is the villain. And but she is really fills that role of and 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 I like in the world is not enough cuz Brosnan is like kind of a little bit more campy, especially compared to Dalton. It kind of pulls it back in the more lighthearted direction. But there is a moment in the world is not enough where you see that cold killer that is James Bond under the surface when Electra King says you're not going to kill me and then James Bond just he just shoots her. her yeah 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 and then he the unreal yeah she's like you're not going to kill me you'd miss me and then he just shoots her I'd never miss I love it it's a great that's a great moment I love Electra King 
and I want to see, and I think we will see in the new series of James Bond, the new the, the new actor. I want to see a female Bond villain with all the tropes of a Bond villain, like the disfigurement, the physical <laughs> deformity, but she's a woman. Maybe a spurned ex-lover from Bond's past, or just a woman criminal mastermind with some kind of deformity that is the the mastermind of the plot. I think that'd be great. And Electric King is really the only thing close to that. Yeah, that makes sense. I wonder why. Like, you think in, like, yeah, how many Bonds there have been through so many different eras, there would be more of that. Because it seems like the natural, like, I guess, parallel, or not parallel, but, like, yeah, mm-hmm. the foil to a James Bond is a disfigured, like, woman or some, like, tragic past woman. I don't know. But I guess there's also, like, the problem of how to play that out like you have like a redemption element no you don't have to just make her it it can just be like a classic james bond villain Mm -hmm. who meets his their fate at the end and it's just a female this time i just i just don't see why that's never been done maybe the new blofeld can be a a woman Mm -hmm. um i have some thoughts about die another day um i don't hate it as much as everybody else does (laughs) my only problems with die another day really are the shoddy cgi so just like cgi should not be used that much in a bond movie like don't use cgi on stunts if you need to create like a a background plate or something with cgi or if you need to use cgi to remove uh harnesses and wires and things that's fine but don't create cgi waves and don't create cgi (laughs) planes like anything that you could do in real life just don't do it with cgi in a bond movie so that to me the all the action in that movie is like neutered by the fact that i can see that it's in front of a green screen or i can tell that it's a cgi james bond or that the plane is cgi or the helicopter is cgi um so, so really, if they had done all that with some models or real stunts, I wouldn't have had a problem. Then I also don't like like the clear influence from either like the Matrix or like Fast and Furious movies, I think, from that time. Like the bad guy's in like a long leather coat at one point, and he's trying to look so like slick and cool. Um, yeah, that's the fun of Die Another Day, though. We talked about time capsule, <laughs> time capsule Bond movies. Yeah, Die you're right. Is another yeah. big one. Bad in the early 2000s, bad cg yeah it's like a hallmark of major okay, franchises like if you, it's the era of that like look at like the early marvel movies like even those early like spider-man daredevil x-men the star yeah. wars prequels yeah the matrix movies mm-hmm. and then it makes complete sense that a james bond movie would come out in that era with mm-hmm. horrible cg yeah. and that is the charm of die another day where you know <laughs> that it is because that's when we really grew up was in that era of like terrible cg so I, that's why I do have a soft spot for Die Another Day. It does look pretty bad. Like, it looks generally awful, but... Yeah, but the stuff that they do somewhat practically, like whatever the set they built for the Ice Palace, or um, as, you know, Brendan talked about, the, the the sword fight in the streets, like, I think all that still holds up just mm-hmm. fine. I don't even mind the crazy laser laser <laughs> battle. It was like it was like the scene from Goldfinger on, on, yeah. on acid, you know? It was just, like, way up there. Yeah, um, the villain takes some the villain takes some cues from I think Hugo Drax in the novelized version of Hugo Drax. But the villain in that movie too is like, isn't it a dude? I'm pretty sure it's like a a Korean North Korean who's oh, like got yeah. plastic surgery to look like a white person <laughs> yeah. who also like doesn't sleep. Like that's his thing. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why that doesn't sleep things in there. Yeah. Um, 
But again, I don't mind that. Like, it's an interesting twist. It calls back to the beginning. I'm sure there's some commentary on, like, racial appropriation or something where one could read all that into it. So I'm like, great, fine, go for it. I hate how he wears some, like, suit at the end, some, like, robot suit that he's, like, controlling the space laser through the suit and he can touch people and electrocute the people with the suit on. Or if you press a button in the middle of his chest, he becomes electrocuted. Yeah. I don't know why that feature was built into well, the build chest. In that but... safe. <laughs> yeah. uh, this also the movie with the nod to Honey Rider, right? Because the Halle Berry comes out yeah. of the water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Which again is done in Casino Royale, but it's like Bond himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think Die Another Day was the 20th Bond, and it tried to make a reference to every previous Bond movie. So there's a whole scene where he goes into cues like archived gadget room and there's all the gadgets right. from previous bond movies are in there the jetpack and the um, i don't know a bunch of stuff the shoe with the knife in it i think this is a good time to talk about gadgets because okay. the brosnan era is the most like gadgety like wacky gadgety james bond because in like the mid to late 90s and then into the early 2000s that's when like the tech boom was sort of happening the internet's coming in like it's we're entering like the digital age and wacky technology is entering the bond movies like at a way more than they were before I feel that's what I associate with those movies I associate with the the Brazen movies I associate like like insane gadgetry like weird hacking which kind of carries over into the Craig movies like James Bond in the era of the internet seems like every bad guy has to have some kind of hacking connection or hacking background yeah it kind of took a few cues from Mission Impossible right if the Bond movies always borrowing from other stuff I think uh, the 90s Brosnan took, as we said, from, from a bunch of stuff, but possibly Mission Impossible. What are the insane gadgets you're thinking of, obviously, other than the invisible car? I mean, yeah, the invisible car. <laughs> I also, I like, I do like the the car that he like drives on, like the on the tablet or whatever. Oh yeah, like yeah. With the video game controller. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. uh, Tomorrow Never Dies, that and one. Tomorrow, yeah. 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 The doesn't uh, that isn't Tomorrow Never Dies, right? Yeah, he's in the back seat. And yeah. He's got his phone, and he's driving it on his. Uh, that's on his that's phone. a great scene. Yeah, um, it is. And the other interesting thing about the Brazen era too is like because you're coming off of the Cold War, out of that like golden age of espionage, and it's like we don't have the Russians around, so there's not an obvious clear like adversary. So now we're going to start experimenting a bit. I think Goldeneye really deals with the fallout of the Cold War, and then like CNN is the villain. <laughs> Tomorrow yeah. never dies. Yeah, yeah. Again, he's trying to start a war, right? He wants a war between the United States yeah. and China so that he can get the the ex- exclusive for ratings? Uh, broadcasting rights in China because he doesn't have them or something like that. He's yeah. like broadcasting all over the world, but China won't give it to him or something. Because at the time, like the Gulf War was like on television. Like you could just watch the war on TV. Yeah. And the same thing happens when we were younger, when the Iraq War, like the second time around. <laughs> the sequel to the Gulf, the Gulf War too. <laughs> so if, uh, if the Bond movies tend to borrow i mean that's probably how they survive is they borrow from what other other things are sort of popular at the time other than the 60s when it originated the spy genre ever since then it's sort of been playing catch up i guess i would definitely say the daniel craig era borrows from jason bourne so uh all of a sudden we wanted shaky and we wanted gritty and we wanted you know bond's not pulling his punches anymore bond's getting bloodied and and dirtied and beat up Mm -hmm. um now I'll just I'll just say my my thoughts first and then hand it over. What I don't like about the Daniel Craig movies is that while the early two thousands we all wanted gritty and dark and realistic, like we got it with Batman and 
Uh, we were getting it with other superheroes at the time, I guess. Um, I don't know that that's where James Bond belongs because he's always going to be doing somewhat superhuman things. Like, it just can't be the character if he's as fallible as a normal human would be. He'd be dead a uh, hundred times over. So to have this ridiculous character in a ridiculous premise... Like, not as ridiculous, but it's still more ridiculous than anything that happens in real life. But then to paint it off as something kind of real, I don't know. I don't know that that blends so well. Maybe they struck a nice balance in Casino Royale. Um, but Skyfall, for example, and, and Spectre, I'm like, you, you don't know what you are anymore. You, are you trying to be realistic and grounded, or are you trying to be fantastical and adventurous like Bond used to be. So I, I don't think anybody knows what to do with this franchise right now. So those are my thoughts on the Daniel Craig or James Bond. And I don't need to see Bond cry. Right? <laughs> he didn't he didn't cry when his wife was shot. Uh he but he cried when M died. Spoilers. And I I uh I don't know how I feel about that. So I don't know. Brendan, what you've said uh you've probably seen Daniel Craig the most, is mm-hmm. that right? Out of those movies. Yeah, what, yeah. What um I, I feel like uh, with Daniel Craig, yeah, I do agree. Like, I do like them. I I feel like if I were to pick up a favorite, it would probably still be Casino Royale, just because of yeah. familiarity. I think everyone would agree. Yeah, yeah. and that's uh, they would not all agree. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Adam has right, a different right. uh, different yeah, take. Like, I love Casino Royale. Skyfall's no. Skyfall's a little better. I'll talk about it though in a second. Yeah. Go ahead. So that's what I don't like with Casino Royale. I feel like the best stuff that they can do with like the daniel craig is to like look inner like at the inner turmoil of james bond and like yes i I do agree that it doesn't have like the like it doesn't cover like they try to still have that like superhuman element which does like clash with what you're trying to do if trying to make like a very personal like story of like fallible like human error and stuff and that's why like but at least going for that and like keeping it especially in casino royal keeping it more like grounded like with the poker and having like less action scenes having of course like a lot of big action scenes but like maybe less i feel action minutes per se of just like action and stuff and like having like i feel like the best bond uh woman with uh vesper and having that and their chemistry i feel like it makes the best but like going into then when I guess there's a lot of recycling also, it feels like, in the Daniel Craig. There's probably there's a lot of recycling in all of James Bond, I feel, but it's still, like, I guess the era, but, like, having the Daniel Craig, like, recent, like, it comes, it becomes more because we talked about more because I feel like it exists in the... But uh, that's when going to Spectre and when they try to, like, kind of branch out and make it, like, a world kind of, like, organization, it gets into, like, muddy waters and also, like, doesn't really work when they're trying to do, like, yeah, like, having, like, a fa- like a personable, like, bond but also have this like overarching like villains or like organization and it's also like with like what it, they're trying to say necessarily as like a good guy with a gun kind of thing but yeah just just before adam goes i know he's got i know he's waiting for to, to speak <laughs> but to your point about the personal thing I, I think that's what's hurting the daniel craig bond movies like okay it worked in casino royale we're gonna get into him as a human being and find out the love of his life and she died and he thought mm-hmm. she betrayed him and then that hurt him and he's scarred. And, okay, as an origin story, that that works, but then that carries over into Quantum. Okay, that wraps that story up. Great. Skyfall starts and it's still personal again. Like, M has become this, like, mother figure to him now. So mm-hmm. 
and the bad guy is just like the bad guy's whole plan is just to kill M. He has like no other greater purpose but to just kill this. It gets like, so personal. And then he's got to cry and get over that. So I was like, okay, maybe he's done with his crying. Bond is just like ready to be Bond. And then bloody Spectre comes in and they establish that Blofeld is his brother. <laughs> Give me a break. That's like oh, yeah. what Austin Powers did as a parody of Bond. Now Bond <laughs> is actually doing with yeah. having Bond and the bad guy be brothers. Yeah. It's so ridiculous. So I'm like, get rid of this person. Like I, I, It worked. Now it needs to return to its formula. Adam, go ahead. So... Yeah, I agree with parts of what you said, but I also am going to give a little bit of pushback, um, sure. particularly around, about Skyfall. Yeah. Um, if you look at all of the, the Bond movies up until Daniel Craig, they are all, and including the Daniel Craig movies as well, they're all very plotty. There's a lot of plot in all of the Bond movies. Yeah. The, the, the machinations of the plot are very clear, and the movies are about the plot. The Daniel Craig movies were the first Bond movies to not have just a plot, but to also have a story. There is an underlying internal conflict. Or, or a character. Not yeah. just a plot, but a yeah. character. Yeah. That's why they feel the most contemporary and the most... And they are, they are, I guess whether you like them or not, they are the most sophisticated of the James Bond movies from a writing perspective for the most part. Because they're not, it's not just about the external plot or the external threat that Bond is thwarting. It's about the internal story that's happening with James Bond. I do like Casino Royale quite a bit. Um, Casino Royale, yeah, it functions kind of like a, almost like, again, echoing what's happening in film at the time. Like it's Batman Begins, but with James Bond. That's... The, I think that's mm -hmm. like the thesis of yeah. or the log line of, of Casino Royale. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Going back to the beginning of the novels too, like taking the original story of the very first James Bond novel. I just love the idea of James Bond in like a high stakes, well now poker game, backrack game in the novel, but a high yeah. stakes card game is, is such a great idea. Um, and the, <sighs> Skyfall, so your criticism of Skyfall so I understand it correctly is like <laughs> you think it has like it's it's kind of playing both sides where it has like the gritty realistic fallible bond while also like having the fantastical elements of some of the older bond movies is that uh, that that argument lies more with Spectre my biggest gripe about Skyfall is just the the lack of the is the plot itself is the lack of the villain's plan um the convolution convolutedness Anyway, the, mm -hmm. the the ridiculous like it borrows way too much from the Dark Knight. Speaking of Batman, yeah, and uh, like the the guy had many opportunities to kill M. If that was his whole plan, he could have like he could have shot her in that courtroom scene. Okay, let's just say you, you know the, the well, hearing he tried scene. To. He, if he tries he, to, and then but M let's takes just say but, or the but other for M. the for the plot point though, mm -hmm. let's just say he did and he succeeded. Yeah. The movie could have ended there, and it would have been the exact same. The whole third act doesn't add anything else to it. It could have ended there, and literally nothing... Like Then you could have just shown the ending of the movie, and that's it. So when you have a third act that's just there to be a third act, like they, should, they just needed to add something else there. If part of his plan was to kill M and do something else, and the third act was about stopping them both... Mm -hmm. then I that would have helped. So it's just stuff like that that I think is just sure. sort of shoddy writing, and that's my problem. I, with I do think Skyfall. that idea, though, would take away some of the magic of the third act of Skyfall, which is, like, how stripped down the story becomes. 
where it just becomes about James Bond literally like going back to the beginning finding like almost his roots like he goes back to his like childhood home and it's just like he has that great line where he says some people are going to come to kill us we're going to kill them first like that's the ending of of Skyfall and it's just Bond and M and Silva and the dynamics between the three characters I really like here's the thing about the about the Daniel Craig movies and why I think they're they are a Dif- what makes them different they, these are the first ones that have a real emotional core that is lacking in most of the other yeah, I mean you could argue on Her Majesty's Secret Service with the ter- with the Teresa story but for the most part there is not that much going on as far as like an emotional core but in Casino Royale you have the emotional core of B- the Bond Vesper relationship which works pretty well that you get invested in you're invested in more than just the uh, save the world spy plot that's happening with these movies and I think it works even better in in um, Skyfall the emotional core of Skyfall is like the it's a mother-son story with M and James Bond and because M has been around the franchise for so long and you've also seen M and Daniel Craig's interactions throughout the first couple of movies and in that movie as well you really get a sense of that like the mother-son dynamic and i think some of the best scenes in the bond books and in the movies are the scenes between m and james bond Mm -hmm. this like this devotion to his duty and to this parental figure in m who's his boss i think is where one of the strongest aspects of james bond's character and then to have a villain who essentially was james bond before james bond was like m's right hand agent who then got sold out and betrayed and is like back for revenge, having those personal stakes and being so invested in the Bond M story, I think creates like a great emotional climax to, to Skyfall. I think it yeah. works even better than the Vesper climax. I, I agree that there's good character stuff happening there. So Silva and Bond are both like they're 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 metaphorical brothers, right? With M being their mother. And yeah. and and what happened to Silva, she let him die or you know like left him alone to die and then she said the same thing to bond at the beginning right take the shot and he got shot so it's like they're both feeling abandoned by their mother and they both reconcile that mm-hmm. i get that and i hear everything you said and a lot of people agree with you and you have some excellent points it just comes down to, for me to personal preference there are certain characters in movies i've said this before like indiana jones or like james bond or like han solo where i just prefer that they remain an archetype like mm-hmm. that's just how I like them best. Like yeah. not a lot of character depth, not a lot of emotion, not a lot of complexity. I just like them when they're handsome I, I, and athletic and somewhat superhuman and just kicking ass and it's pretty black and white. Yeah, to me that's like that that's fun. where that works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah you just fun. if you're looking for that fun, just that fun escapism. Yeah. I do think the Craig movies provide that as well, but having those little t- like the Craig movies aren't that complex really, but having that little right. touch of like character and emotional mm-hmm. connection to the story I think does elevate them a bit and I do think and if you want to talk about Indiana Jones my favorite Indiana Jones movie is The Last Crusade yeah I knew you were going to say that <laughs> because it, it again it adds that little I mean talk about James Bond like there's a reason why Connery's in that yeah, yeah but it's yeah. uh, that little added uh, emotional connection between the father and son I think really elevates Last Crusade and Last Crusade has all the fun action that you would see in some in Raiders but that uh, little extra layer of sophistication to the story i think elevates it that makes sense i guess i I guess though like too with 
it seems like when you try to like add some like depth or complexity to a character, it becomes very apparent when it's lacking like hollow. So like Skyfall, like let's compare like Skyfall or like Casino Royale to like Spectre now, which is or even Quantum of Solace, where when you try to go back to I guess more Spectre in this, but like when you try to go back to just like wacky have fun like universal hijinks and like try to do the same thing with like the female uh character like it becomes very apparent that's like lacking any kind of like emotional depth and you can't really like at the same time you're looking for that because that's like you've set that's like staple in especially in the like uh the daniel craig movies so i don't know I mean, I'm not going to sit here and defend Spe- Spectre's a mess, especially mm. the third act of Spectre. Yeah. It's, it's a yeah. mess. Yeah. But I'm just saying, like, you can, like, apply that to then, like, I guess all the other ones, like, in terms of, like, there's, like, a difficulty that they try to, like, a line you try to walk when you're, like, trying to, like, have, like, a depth to your character that uh, hard to do in a three-hour movie, two-and-a-half-hour movie, but yeah. Do you, yeah, what, the worst aspect of the Daniel Craig movies, I think, is the attempt at having the overarching villain end up being like the Spectre organization. Like, the, mm-hmm. it, at first it's Quantum, and then the name changes to like Spectre later on in the series. Yeah. And then just like the idea that Blofeld is like responsible for everything, including yeah. Javier Bardem. Yeah, like, that yeah, makes no sense. It's, it's pretty it's just a weak idea. Like, yeah. it's very, it's very shoehorn. It's pretty uh, last Skywalker y. Uh, the Emperor was in charge of the whole thing the whole <laughs> oh, time. Yeah. It's like, no, no, I would no, enjoy he, it. no, he wasn't. <laughs> I would enjoy it if Blofeld had a lab. Just with a bunch of Silvas and <laughs> and Snokes and Silvas in like tubes, <laughs> or if, uh, if if Palpatine said to Ray that he was the author of all her pain. Yeah, that would be good too. That would, that the would author good. of all your pain, James. I, I don't I, like. I don't care for Christoph Waltz. I I do like Christoph Waltz. I don't care for his Blofeld in uh, performance. I don't think you need to needed to have Blofeld at all in the Craig series. Man probably even need to have specter the movie probably could just have it. but i guess that's the problem though too like you always need a james bond i guess it's always like with a new actor there is like a mm-hmm. new a new era kind of thing so the, the other the other the other thing i'll say about the craig the, the craig movies are really feel like the first bond movies again that are going more it's more than the plot they all they all have like an angle to them for the most part like the angle in casino royale is like bond begins and it's showing how he became 007 and that that origin story angle had never been done before and then you go from like batman year one to dark knight returns which is kind of what skyfall is sort of it's like james bond is now aged he's over the he's over the hill he's lost a step and he's coming out of retirement to try to like finish this mission and it feels a little bit like the dark knight returns the graphic novel which is kind of what batman does in that story and it's also a bit of a commentary on where Bond is in the world. There's a lot more going on thematically in the in the Craig series as well, particularly in Skyfall, where it's like is in the context of the movie, it's does the double O program have a place in the world today with all of this like digital surveillance and that t- type of espionage? Do we still need field agents? And that's kind of the point that the young Q sort of makes in that movie too. And then also is what is the place of 007 in the context of our real world? Like does he still fit in to our world today or is he like how m says is he like a relic of the cold war like a misogynist dinosaur from the cold war Mm -hmm. and i like that the movie like plays around with that idea 
Yeah. I think it's a very good way to modernize James Bond and show and, that he still is relevant and still has a place. Well, uh, Spectre was uh, not as financially successful as Skyfall, nor was it, Lee, is it as critically acclaimed. So I think we'll find out, uh, we'll have a, a clearer answer to that question of is Bond as a character, as a franchise still relevant in just a few days when uh, No Time to Die makes its premiere. Um, I think uh, we could probably talk about Bond all night, but we're uh, past the hour mark, and I think we should probably wrap it up. Any final words? Any final comments from anybody? Last question, guys. I talked about the angle that they work in each Bond movie. So for No Time to Die, they're going to kill him, right? Like he's going to die in the end, self-sacrifice? That makes sense, yeah. I've seen the movie, and I can say that that's what happens. Okay. (laughs) Okay, the adults are talking. Andrew? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I, I heard the theory that he might have a child, that he and uh, Madeline Swan uh, have a kid. So maybe maybe it could be Madeline about Tracy Swan. <laughs> yeah. So maybe it's about how does he how does he put his life on the line when there's somebody else now depending on him? I don't know. That could be an interesting take as well. But I agree. They got to do something like that because they don't know how to do it without an angle, as you say. I, Why? What yeah. do you think? You think he's gonna die? I think the way that Casino Royale was a definitive beginning for the character, I think No Time to Die is going to be a definitive end. Whether that means he dies or he... Act, like, it's hard to have him actually retire, and this time it's for real he retired because he's retired <laughs> yeah. so much. In yeah. the, that's a part of like, why the Craig series is a bit of a mess. He's retired and unretired so many times. And so I think the only way to that. give a true definitive ending is for him to commit self-sacrifice. Yeah. Maybe it's to protect his... Like, to protect Madeline and a, and a kid. So do you think mm-hmm. that Lashana Lynch then, that they're going to carry on the series with her as the new 007? No, no. I think they'll relaunch, reimagine, you can use the term reboot if you want, with okay. a new guy in the role of James Bond 007. Well, it won't be like the end, like the end of this movie, he'll die and then the baby, his baby will come <laughs> and pick up a martini his baby and yes. drink it james, james a, baby there's a cartoon called james bond jr <laughs> i remember that i remember that from the 90s what yeah. i didn't know about this yeah why did we talk about it seems like a pretty important okay <laughs> guys thank you both for joining me today uh, and i look me. forward to uh, chatting about no time to die with you thanks listen to skizzy boys yeah skizzy boys <laughs> new there album you go. <laughs> shout out you can pay me later okay bye guys Hey, remember you can follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Anchor, or wherever podcasts are found. You can also follow The Viewer's Cut on Facebook and Instagram. Special thanks to my guests Brendan Hiles and Adam Fontaine. Check out their music on Spotify or Apple Podcast at Skizzy Boys. Links can be found in the description. No Time to Die opens in North America on October 8th.